So it had been a while for me since I saw the movie Ratatouille, so I had to go back and check a few things. But I was thinking about the movie Ratatouille. So if, like me, it's been a while, I'll remind you of the important details. Okay, so there's a rat. His name is Remy. And uh, there's this chef, and he works at a famous restaurant in Paris, and his name is Linguini. And Linguini is a terrible chef. And Remy is an amazing chef, but he's a rat. So in order to, for, for a mutually beneficial arrangement, Remy hides inside Linguini's hat, and he, he teaches him how to make all the stuff. And then this restaurant gets really famous, okay? And all the people are coming, well, it's already famous, but everyone's coming to eat these dishes that Linguini is making. Uh, and then Linguini and Remy have a falling out, and Linguini, he doesn't know how to make any of the dishes anymore. And so uh, the, the staff, they're like, Linguini, you've got to make the stuff. And he's like, I, I can't, I, I forgot. And then suddenly Remy appears again. And uh, so he's like, all right, guys, I got to come clean. The reason I didn't know how to make any dishes is because the real reason, the real chef mastermind behind this is the rat. And he gives this really amazing speech about how, like, the truth is difficult to believe sometimes, but this is the truth, and you got you to gotta trust me, guys. Who's behind me? We can be the, the best restaurant in Paris. And every single one of his staff just walks out on him because the idea of a rat is just it's too unbelievable for them. And Remy represents uh, a kind of a trope in storytelling that is a highly unbelievable hero. And you can think about this in lots of different stories. For instance, uh, in Lord of the Rings, if you were going to pick one character to take the ring to, the, to Mordor and then cast it into the flames, you would get, you know, one of those strong, uh, you know, dwarves or like the skillful elves. But no, they got the hobbits. And it's like they don't have a lot of skill, but somehow they did it. Or uh, in the Bible, for instance, you think about, you know, who are you going to get to fight Goliath? Well, certainly David would not have been the first choice, but David stood up and he's the one that conquered Goliath. And there are lots of characters like this, but this morning I want to talk about the most important of all, and that is Jesus. Because here's the thing that you got to know about Jesus. Jesus is a highly unbelievable hero. And when people saw him, they did not believe him. Many rejected him. And God warned us hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth that this is what is going to happen. So this morning, I would like to study in Isaiah 53 with you. We're going to be studying Isaiah 53. And I want to look at it um, through a little bit of a different lens than we typically will look at this text through. So first, I just want to let you know that I'm going to give you two Interesting, surprising facts you probably did not know about Isaiah 53. And the first one is that if you start reading Isaiah 53 in verse 1, uh, you're starting in the wrong place. Because Isaiah 53 is perhaps maybe one of the, the Bible's worst chapter divisions. Because the idea starts three verses earlier in chapter 52, verse 13. And so we're going to start here in Isaiah 52, verse 13 and read through chapter 53. And then... We're going to make some comments. So Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. 
Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth." Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is a text we are very familiar with. I mean, I would imagine most of us have heard this text over a hundred times, read from the Lord's table. And so, this is a text that we, we feel like we're familiar with, and the reason is, as I said, we, we talk about it a lot, but the point that we typically get from this text is that Jesus bore our sins on the cross, and that is absolutely true, and that is absolutely what this text is saying. So I'm not at all trying to say that we should not make that point from this text, but here's my second interesting fact about Isaiah 53, and that is the New Testament writers seem interested in this text for a very different reason than that. So Isaiah 53 or 52, 13 through 53 is quoted about eight times in the New Testament. We get it in Matthew, in Luke, John, Acts, twice in Romans, and this big chunk in 1 Peter. And yet of all of those times, only one time, is the quotation about Jesus bearing our sins. And that is very fascinating to me because that's the lens that we typically look at this text through. That's, you know, that's what Isaiah 53 is about, that Jesus took on our sins. And again, you know, that is what it's about. But it's also about something else. The way that the authors of the New Testament tend to use this text is to talk about rejection. That when Jesus came, no one would believe him. And of course, some people did believe him, but those people are a very small group that Jesus came and he was, in many ways, unbelievable. So there come two questions then from that. Don't worry, we'll get a PowerPoint in a second. There's two questions from that then. The first, I'll answer quickly, and the second, 
will be the rest of our sermon. So the first question, why did I need to know that? Like, why is it important that God told us that when the Messiah comes, he's going to be rejected? And why did the New Testament writers take an interest in Isaiah 53 for that reason? Well, let me ask you, let me ask it to you like this. So imagine you got an email from the Razorback football team, and they were like, hey, uh, you know, this is a couple weeks ago. Uh, this is, we're having a Black Friday sale. It's insane. Here's what's going to happen. If you come to our stadium on Black Friday for the price of one hot dog, which is what, like $25 these days? <laughs> for the price of one hot dog, you can get season tickets. You'd be like, that's insane. This is, this is, too, this is too good to believe. But, but, I mean, you're a huge Razorback fan, so you're like, all right, so you get up early on Black Friday, you drive to Fayetteville, you, you get there, and there's like three people there. And you're like, what's going on here? Because, here, see, I, I've got this email, and it's like the greatest deal ever, but no one is here. No one's taking advantage of this. Why is that happening? And I think the same thing happened to the disciples in the first century. That Jesus comes, he offers salvation, the greatest gift that could ever be given, and yet, constantly, they're met with people who are saying, no, I don't, I don't want that. And you're like, why? What, how could you possibly not want what Jesus is offering? How could you not believe him? How could you not see the signs? How could you miss it? And you can get frustrated. You can begin to doubt your conviction. You can begin to doubt things. And you can get discouraged because you keep hitting brick walls as we're going out teaching people and saying, hey, you know, do you want to believe in this Jesus guy? And they say, no, like I'm not interested in him. And and that can be frustrating. It can be discouraging. And so we need to know from the beginning, going into this, that if we choose to follow Jesus, that Jesus is going to be rejected. And if we align ourselves with him, so will we. So that's the why. Why is it important that we know this? But here's the question I want to spend the rest of our time answering. Why was Jesus rejected? Because here's the thing, we're going to meet with a lot of difficulty as we try and spread the gospel, as we try and tell people about Jesus. And we're going to meet difficulty in about two different ways. There are two reasons why Jesus is going to be rejected by the people and why he was rejected in the first century. And if we understand that, then we can inoculate ourselves against these uh, faithless arguments against Jesus. And so the first reason why Jesus was rejected is, as we explained in our introduction, Jesus was unbelievable. Start with me again in chapter 52, verse 13. We'll read through verse 3 of chapter 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they do not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look on him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. What this text is saying is that when Jesus comes, people are going to see him, and they're going to not believe him. They're going to look at him, as it says in verse 14, and they're going to see he's marred beyond human semblance. That they, in verse 3, 
they, they hide their faces from him. They're going to see a crucified Messiah, and they're going to be repulsed by the idea of following somebody. Because think about this. So many Jews in the first century, they thought, if he's the Messiah, we couldn't have killed him. That, so it doesn't make sense. They can't compute those ideas in their brain. Or we also get verse 2. He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. That he's, he's just this humble little plant. Like he's a nobody. He's unimportant. And again, we see Jesus' origins doubted as we talked about Nazareth. And he talks to Nathaniel. He's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And you get the, those uh, scribes or Pharisees that are like, no, look, no one comes out of Nazareth. That Jesus was... People disbelieved Jesus because of his crucifixion, because of his origin, because of so many things about Jesus. They did not believe him. And so that's why it says in verse 1, who has believed what he has heard from us? And this, I think, will probably surprise you. This verse, verse 1, is the verse that is quoted the most in the New Testament out of Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? If you'll flip over to John chapter 12, we'll find the first place where we get this. So John... In John 12, he's kind of summarizing here at the end of the chapter, Jesus' earthly ministry, the successes, the failures, so to speak. And he says in verse 37 of John chapter 12, Though he had done so many signs before him, they still did not believe him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We get into some more reasons for rejection of Jesus, not so much oriented in Isaiah 53 at the end of that, but still back to uh, verse 36 or 38 where the quotation is. They did not believe in him. And it was as, as Isaiah said it would happen, that Jesus did a bunch of signs and they did not believe in him because Isaiah said, look, who's going to believe this? And the reason they didn't believe it is found in verse 40. This, by the way, the most quoted verse from Isaiah at all. Isaiah 6, I think it's 9 and 10. He has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. I think this is a bit... Uh, it reads a bit more deterministically than uh, I think jives with some of the rest of scriptures. I think when we read this, it's like, oh, God intentionally hardened their hearts. God intentionally made it impossible for them to understand. And I don't think that is what it's teaching. However, I do think that the idea that God's message is going to turn people off is inherent not only in Isaiah 53, but also here in Isaiah 6 that's quoted, that Jesus is going to come with a message and people are not going to believe it. They're not going to believe it because they don't want to believe it. They're not going to believe it because they've hardened their hearts and they've refused to believe it. They've closed their eyes so that all of these signs that Jesus is doing, they're not going to see them. They're not going to understand them because they don't want to. And this is, these are the the deaf ears that Jesus' message falls on as he comes and he tries to say, look, I am the Messiah. I'm here to save you. I'm here to bring about this new age. You've been waiting. I'm here. But they're not going to believe him. His own people, the Jews, rejected him just like God said that they would. 
And as we see, some people do believe in him, but even of the people that do believe in him and see the signs and understand, some of them are more concerned with the present age than with the future age, the messianic age. And so they choose not to confess him because they're more worried about the glory from man than they are about the glory from God. And so we see Jesus' message, I don't want to say it fails because obviously it succeeds in in grand ways, but in, in the ears of certain people in his audience, they, they don't want to hear it. They're not interested. And so it doesn't do what it should, which is, you know, save people. And so this happens because people don't believe him. It's, he, they find him to be unbelievable. Um, Paul is going to say something very similar in Romans chapter 10. Same context and everything, really. He's going to talk about the Jews and the way that the Jews rejected Jesus Starting in verse 13 of Romans chapter 10, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For the voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I ask you, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This Paul is using to discuss why Jesus rejected the Jews and chose the Gentiles. It's because Jesus came to the Jews. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. In the text we're going to see in just a moment. Jesus came to the Jews and they were a deaf people. They were disobedient and contrary. They had hard hearts. They had closed their eyes. They did not want to believe. So Jesus went to the Gentiles and he said, Gentiles, here's the truth. And the Gentiles received him. Again, not all of them, but some of them in a way that made the Jews jealous. And he says, look, you guys heard the story, but you closed your ears. And you should have known that this was going to happen because, again, it was prophesied. All of these things were said ahead of time so that we would understand that when the Jews were rejected, that was part of the plan. God knew that was going to happen and that the Jews rejecting Jesus does not stop the plan that God has moving forward. So let's go one more text and then we'll wrap up this point. Now back to John, John chapter 1. Because this is what Jesus says. This is what John says as he introduces the ministry of Jesus. And I think this is a crucial text for us to understand our role in all of this. So John chapter 1, we'll read verses 9 through 13. John chapter 1, 9 through 13. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we see, even at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this is what John says is going to happen. This is how he sums up the life of Jesus. 
Jesus came into the world, the world that he made, but the world did not receive him. He came to his own, to the Jews, and they did not receive him. No one received him, but the people that did receive him. To those who believed in his name, not the unbelieving, but the believing, he gave the right to become children, not born of flesh, not born of the will of man or of blood, but of God. This is who we are. We are the ones who believe. We are the ones who listen. And to us has been given the right to become children born of God. And that separates us from the world, not in a way that is haughty, but in a way that is going to put us on Jesus' side and not on the world's side. And that is going to be important as we enter the next point. Because some people reject Jesus as being unbelievable, if we'll turn back to Isaiah 53. But the other reason, the second reason, why people rejected Jesus is that he was considered to be a criminal. That when the people saw Jesus, they made him their enemy. They chose to oppose him, and they saw his teaching as dangerous. That's why it says in Isaiah 53, verse 9, they made his grave with the wicked. They killed him with wicked people. Or in verse 12, that uh, I, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the, spo- the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and he was numbered with the transgressors. That Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. He was lumped in with all those criminals because the people in power chose to villainize him. So how does that play out and what does that mean for us? Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, another text we read a lot at the Lord's Supper, but... Not going to that part of the chapter. Luke 22. So in Luke 22, we get Jesus. This is the end of his life, uh, or the end of his, his life on earth. He's uh, just instituted the Lord's Supper. They go to the, the uh, Mount of Olives, and he gets there. And we find in verse 47, this is what happens. They make him his enemy. Actually, we'll not do 47. Let's start at 52. Jesus is surrounded by the chief priests, and it says in verse 52, Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Verse 52 kind of points out this idea that they approached him as if he was a robber, as if he was a criminal. They came with, you know, clubs and, and they, they were expecting a fight because they were opposed to Jesus and they had villainized him. And then we get to 53 and he kind of, I don't know, pokes fun at them to say, look, you've had a bunch of opportunities to get me. You understand inherently that what you're doing is wrong because if it wasn't wrong, you would have done this in the daylight. But now you're doing it at night when no one can see. This is the power of darkness among you. And you, you know that. But they had closed their eyes to it. They had shut their ears. They had hardened their hearts. They viewed Jesus as a criminal. And so they led Jesus away. He allowed himself to be led away. He allowed himself to be punished and uh, beaten like a criminal. He allows himself to have Barabbas released because they hated Jesus more for his supposed uh, stirring up the people and leading them astray than Barabbas, who was actually an insurrectionist. All of these things, they viewed Jesus as a criminal. They viewed him as dangerous. But all of this follows a quotation we have not yet read 
a quotation from Isaiah 53. Turn with me a few, uh, back to verse 35 of Luke 22. Luke 22, Jesus is going to say, remember when you had the limited commission, when I sent you out and you had all that you need? That's not going to happen anymore. Verse 35. He said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. And he said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, we have two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. He says, we saw there in, in verse 37, this quotation from Isaiah 53, verse 12. He was numbered among the transgressors. What Jesus is telling them is from now on, you remember, it's been good up to now. You know, at times they tried to crown me. You know, you guys had all that you need in the limited commission, but now things are about to change. Things are going to get dangerous. If you have a sword, you better take it. If you, don't, if you have money, you better bring it because things are going to get difficult. And the reason is because now... They're going to number me, and if you're on my team, they're going to number you among the transgressors. You will be their enemy. Now, why is that? Well, if we turn over to John, uh, John chapter 15, very similar context here. Uh, This is the kind of leading up to the Mount of Olives, same night. John chapter 15. Jesus tells his, uh, his disciples, verse 18 of John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on my account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. You remember in John 1, where it said, Jesus came to the world, they didn't receive him. He came to his own, they didn't receive him. But to those who did believe, he gave the right to become children, not born of blood or flesh, but of God. This is the same sort of thing. Jesus says, if, the, if you were of the world, if you were a, a part of that, that dark realm, the world would love you because you'd be part of them, but you're not part of them. You're not born of flesh, not born of blood. You are born of God. You are different. And because of that, the world will hate you. You will be opposed. They will see you as a criminal because they see me as a criminal. They will hate you. And as we see in uh, John chapter 3, The reason that they will hate you is because they hate the darkness. Verse 19 of John chapter 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. He says, there's a battle going on, light and darkness, and you are light. And if the world is darkness, they will hate the light because they don't want to be exposed. They don't want you to shut down their power. And so we see the Pharisees, they had a sort of power, and Jesus was upsetting them. We see people who wanted to keep going on in sin, and Jesus is telling them, he's exposing the truth. He's shining the light, and they don't want to see the light. 
And the same is true today, as we begin to apply both of these quickly. There are still people who see Jesus as unbelievable. I mean, millions of people out there who, you know, they don't believe the Bible. And you ask, well, why don't you believe the Bible? Well, the Bible has miracles in it, and, and miracles have never happened. It's like, well, okay, well, what about all of the miracles that did happen, and they wrote it down in the Bible? Well, you can't trust the Bible because it's got miracles in it. Like, they, it doesn't fit their paradigm. They don't believe because they don't want to, because they've closed their eyes to the reality of what Jesus is doing, and they don't want to believe in God. And they also, we have people in the world today who see Jesus as a criminal. I mean, you can read uh, in Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion. He gives several reasons why not only does he not believe in God, but he is opposed to Jesus. You know, starting at the base, like he, you know, Jesus, he, he leads children astray in all of these crazy fantasies that don't become true. Or, you know, Jesus, he's, he's opposed to science. Or Jesus, you know, he's the cause of all of the, the disruption and, you know, war-torn power. You know, Jesus causes divisions in the world. And I think... Some bad Christianity is probably behind some of that, but Jesus himself is, is far better than the world sees him. They want to see him as a criminal because they don't want to listen to what he has to say. The world does not want to hear that abortion is wrong. They do not want to hear that homosexual sex is wrong. They want to stay in the darkness about it. And if you tell them that their path is leading to destruction, they don't want to listen. And so we serve a Jesus, a Lord, who was rejected. And we were told that hundreds of years before he came, so that when he came and he, when he was rejected, that we would not be scared. We would not say, oh no, you know, something's going wrong. No, God knew it was going to happen. This is part of God's plan. He's worked it in. The plan of God cannot be stopped. I mean, you read Paul. He's like, I'm in prison, but the, the word of God cannot be chained. They try and persecute the Christians, but they just spread and they spread the word. God's plan cannot be stopped. And so we're going to be in a world where it's going to be discouraging sometimes as we try and share the word of Jesus with others. We try and tell them about this amazing God that we serve. And some of them will view him as unbelievable and some of them will see him as a criminal. But we know the truth. We who believe in him know what an amazing God we serve. And let us then not be led away in their apostasy, but to press forward in faith, to believe in this God who takes away our sins, who loves us, who guides us, who is our Lord. Think on these things as we go throughout this week. Thank you so much for your time. We will now be dismissed to class.